I'm preaching this morning on the place of guilt in our prayer lives, um, which is wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> um, of course, guilt is a dangerous thing. It can ruin relationships, it can damage our basic ability to function, and it can keep us trapped in negative thinking or destructive habits. And yet, guilt is one of our most basic human emotions and one that has a particular role in bringing us back to God. So, how do we handle a difficult and dangerous tool in our prayer arsenal? When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, um, using the Lord's Prayer, as David spoke about last week, um, he doesn't shy away from guilt. In fact, it's right there in the middle of the Lord's Prayer when he tells us to pray, forgive us our sins. Jesus goes on to teach us that guilt uh, and this prayer, forgive us our sins, goes hand in hand with forgiveness um, as we forgive those who sin against us. And these two things are really important. There's a partnership here and that somehow also helps us as we engage and, and reflect on what it means to be uh, able to pray with guilt. Now, I want to be really, really clear. We are talking today about the ordinary life of discipleship and about growing in our range of prayers and finding a deeper connection with God through expressing prayer of all kinds. I am not trying to address the deep issues of guilt and forgiveness which require counselling or professional help to unpack. Please, if guilt hits a raw nerve with you or if it causes you pain as, as I talk about it this morning, then get in touch with a trusted friend, a counsellor, your GP or one of the staff team so that you can talk it through and work out a way to engage with your um, guilt in the right environment and with the right support. What I am talking about is how we, at this discipleship level, allow guilt to shape the way that we pray. Jesus is teaching us and them how to do it, and his prayer is a model for us. And so if we are truly seeking a prayer life that reflects the discipleship of Jesus, then we need for that whole life of prayer that guilt would be part of the mix. Now, I know that because you're human just like me, that you will wrestle with guilt. It will be difficult for you. All of us, when we say something wrong and cause upset, when something happens that causes offence, when we recognise that something we have done was the wrong thing to do, it cuts us, especially if it hurts someone we care about. If we get something wrong at work, if we've given a friend advice that has caused them harm, if a choice we have made has a knock-on impact we didn't expect, or if we find ourselves giving in to a temptation we struggle with, our spirits within us experience guilt. Now this can feel like a gnawing discomfort, a painful regret, and it often feels like heavy shame. Responding to guilt nearly always leads us in one of two directions. Either we push it away, we cover it up, denying that we did anything wrong and try to feel better through that denial. Or we face up to it. We engage with remorse, apology, restitution and we allow God's transforming work to occur. 
that first response is like self-preservation and it can feel better in the short term but it has a much deeper and longer potential to damage us if we choose that path. The second response leads perhaps in the beginning to a more difficult engagement but in the end that leads to a deeper and longer freedom for us and for the others in our lives. It also follows this pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us. In prayer, guilt and grace are partners, companions. When, not if, when we get things wrong, when we make mistakes, if we choose to let guilt do its work in bringing us back to Jesus, in bringing us to apology with others as well, then we can find our way through it to grace. That is God's work of discipleship in us. We see a beautiful example of it in two different characters from the Bible. I'm going to talk about King David first and then we're going to go on to the passage um, that was read before from Daniel. But first of all, David, he gives us this beautiful example of, of responding to guilt in the right way in Psalm 51. David has messed up, not just a little, but a lot. He has done some terrible things. We find the historical accounts in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And this is a recording of David committing adultery and then murder to try and cover up his adultery. He could have denied this crime or have the prophet Nathan killed to hide it. But instead, he responds to the guilt he feels and lets it do its work in him. And through that, he brings himself closer to God. He brings himself before God in the prayer of Psalm 51 with sorrow and repentance. Just picking out a few of these verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Because David chooses to let guilt lead him honestly before God, because he names it and acknowledges his wrongdoing, he knows God will forgive him. He knows that grace will change him for the better, which is why later on in the psalm he's able to say, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David is so sure of his relationship with God that he can do guilt and grace in the same prayer. Perhaps that's because of the relationship he's had for years, the closeness to God while he was a shepherd, while he was uh, on the run, all those other experiences. His utter dependence on God means that he understands God's character. He understands that the guilt he feels um, will be brought with God, not carrying a big stick to hit him with, but that guilt was a deep uh, a doorway to a deeper relationship with God and a foreshadowing of the friendship of Jesus, which is so merciful. In contrast then, we have Daniel, um, who lived a righteous life. He remained faithful to God in the worst circumstances. 
Despite being taken captive and forced to serve the conquering king, the Gentile Nebuchadnezzar, he remained faithful when his life was in danger and he could have taken compromise as an easy way out, but he didn't. Daniel was a very godly man and incredibly prayerful and patient. Through his whole life, his relationship with God was the source of his strength and tenacity. He regularly prayed and he understood scriptures. He understood Jeremiah had said that the exile would last for 70 years. And so he looks at the disaster which has come upon the Jewish people and he chooses to engage with the communal guilt that he feels. He identifies with the mistakes, the deliberate sin and the son of omission um, of the previous generation. And he is able to include himself in the responsibility for where they are now. He could so easily have succumbed to his human nature to blame his parents, his grandparents or any of the others who lived and um, were doing these things before him. He could have cried out to God in prayer that this punishment wasn't fair, that their generation had not done the things. Instead what we find is Daniel naming and accepting collective responsibility for the disobedience of God's law and this beautiful prayer of confession and repentance. We also see that Daniel fasts and he prays. He puts away other distractions to earnestly seek God's grace in hopes that through this repentance, the holy city would come to be rebuilt and the Jewish people would be able to return and worship God there. Again, what we see is that Daniel has this relationship with God, which is deep which he already knows God's gracious and mercy and all of those wonderful characteristics. He is able to repent and show remorse and use prayer of confession um, that connects with the guilt that he has felt for the whole nation. He does that because he knows that grace awaits him. He's also ready and willing to get there by acknowledging that guilt. He brings himself and his people before God honestly. He repents of what has gone on in the past and trusts God's mercy to heal and restore them. Perhaps this moment in our history is a profound opportunity for us to connect with Daniel's prayer. As we experience waves of protests around the world about the systems and culture which have discriminated against minorities. We too can experience and pray with Daniel for our national guilt. For us in the UK, there has been sometimes a hidden bias towards indigenous Caucasians. It's uncomfortable language and I think that that is the point. As individuals, we may not have partaken in racist behaviour or attitudes. We might have inclusive and diverse friendship circles. We might have used our social media platforms to voice our desire for equality and justice. But we also need to acknowledge that we are part of a system which has taken slow and small steps to correct or redeem ourselves for the mistreatment of people of colour and other minority groups. It is right for us to grieve and lament and repent before God for things of the past and for the system in which we still live today.
just two examples of this um, are the apology and compensation for the Windrush scandal. This was offered more than 50 years after the event. Or perhaps the racially motivated murder of Stephen Lawrence, which took 20 years to bring those that they knew had committed the crime to justice. We thank God that these and many of the other historical uh, issues of, of race are now being acknowledged and definite steps, steps are being taken to change the system. But is there still further that we need to go? Yes. Daniel's prayer reminds us that whatever our part in the system is, we are in it together. And so we bring our communal guilt to God. We seek his forgiveness for the past and the present injustices. We repent of our own blindness or silence if appropriate. And we allow God to show us how things might change. And it is guilt that brings us to this place. And so, when we pray and when we think about our prayer lives, rather than avoiding guilt that comes or skipping that bit of the Lord's Prayer because we really are a good person and we haven't committed any adultery or murder today, rather than being afraid of guilt or, or letting that uncomfortable feeling prevent us from engaging deeply with this in our prayer lives, then let's allow God to deepen our relationship with him through it. If we can be honest with God about who we are, in our fullness, our mistakes and weaknesses as well. If we can be honest with ourselves about our need of discipling, then this kind of prayer, the prayer of guilt, lets us get into the right heart attitude and engage with God's grace and allow him to transform us into something more beautiful. And so can I encourage you this week, perhaps take five minutes of each day, find a prayer of confession that will help you come before God with more honesty, humility, and the readiness to be changed. Let these prayers give us something new in our relationship with God in the week ahead. I'm gonna end with one such prayer. Saving God, we are your people, and yet we do not show the world this truth. We are your children, and yet we fail to live in peace. We are your voices in the world, and yet we choose to be silent. We are your hands and feet, and yet we walk our own path. Forgive us, Lord, for ignoring your love and brushing aside your hand. Forgive us for trusting our own wisdom. Enable us again to worship you in spirit and truth, to make a joyful song out of the everyday moments of our lives so that your name is glorified through our words and our actions. Amen.